The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. So good morning. We are going to be looking at the book of Hebrews today. Again, Hebrews chapter 9. But before we get to that, I just want to share a few things about Palm Sunday. Uh, If you're visiting with us today or you haven't been around very much, my name is Dave Parton. I'm the pastor here at Neighborhood Church, and I'm so happy uh, that you decided to use um, your Sunday morning to come worship God here with us at the Pawnee Gym. Um, Each morning uh, during our service, through music, through prayer, and through the sermon, um, our, our hope is that you will uh, remember who God is, remember who you are, that you'll maybe be introduced uh, to something about God or uh, another believer, another uh, fellow um, follower of Jesus, that you would be satisfied in him and that you'd feel equipped uh, to run this race as a believer. So we're glad you're here today. Uh, let me say a prayer for this time before we uh, jump into God's word. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word. And each Sunday morning as we open it up and we study it, uh, we do pray that it's your spirit that works through your word that helps us better better understand this world. Uh, We rely on our eyes and ears and our senses uh, more than our heart and our minds through your word. And this morning we uh, we just apologize. We say we're sorry where we've lived more in the flesh than we have in the spirit. And that your word speaks to our hearts and speaks to our spirits and helps us better understand uh, what the true reality of this world is. So Father, I just pray this morning as we study your word and remember you, Jesus, uh, that we will be encouraged and blessed. It's in your name. Amen. Uh, So we've been studying through Hebrews the last couple of weeks, uh, different passages and Eric, uh, a couple weeks ago, started us off with the first few chapters, the first few verses of Hebrews, uh, just reminding us that God uh, once used the prophets to speak to his people, uh, but today God has spoken to his people by his son, and that, of course, is Jesus. And the writer goes on to say how Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature and upholds the universe by his word. So that's, that's the Jesus we're going to be studying and looking at this morning, the one who is the exact imprint of God's nature and upholds the universe with the power of his word. And he goes on to say that Jesus made the purification of sin. So here on this, this Palm Sunday, 2018, um, as we begin with just looking again, uh, thank you, Miss Elaine, for sharing about uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Uh, we're just going to begin today just with that moment, and by the end of the service, we'll be looking at the end of the week on Friday, where Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. So this is how Matthew records the arrival of Jesus. So Jesus is riding on a borrowed donkey into the city, into this, the, 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 the Jewish center. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Maybe they were singing that exact song that we sang today, right? And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? 
And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus. The one from Nazareth, from Galilee. So um, this triumphal entry is, is um, it's kind of a big deal as you read through the Gospels. Because you have, you know, the birth of Jesus back at Christmas. You know, we studied the birth of Jesus, this God coming to earth as a man. We had this sweet season of this Christian holiday called Christmas where God became man. This, this innocent baby, son of a carpenter. And, and then just a few months later, every year, we celebrate Easter, right? So it almost feels like Jesus grew up in three months, right, for some of us in our minds. Um, but, you know, Jesus at 33 or so, um, how he kind of ended his life was this riding into this center of the Jewish culture, Jerusalem, this Zion city, the city of God. And the people are responding to this because Jesus has been healing Maybe many of the people that followed Jesus used to couldn't walk or talk. And now they can walk, talk, shout, and yell, and sing. That's exciting for those people that are part of the crowd that's bringing Jesus into this city. So what's going on here? Well, we, we have a city that's ruled by Rome and the Romans. So we have this oppressed Jewish city that's not ran by the Jews politically. And they were waiting for someone to come and change the way life was for them. They were financially oppressed, physically oppressed, emotionally oppressed, taxing and taxing and taxing. And the religious leaders of the day were spiritually oppressing the people, adding to the Old Testament law even more things the people thought they should do or had to do to get to God. They wanted and they needed a Savior and they knew it. And they thought Jesus was the one that was going to change everything. So we have Jesus in the story on Palm Sunday. His name means God saves. We have a donkey in this story. It's the way a king would enter into a city. And the Messiah would enter into the city. We have these cloaks of the people, their humility, laying down their own garments so Jesus Christ the Messiah could come into the city. We have palm branches. For, and for their day, this, was, this is what you would do when, the, when your army won the war. The parade. That's what the palm branches are showing. That victory is, is coming or victory has happened. And of course, we had the words that we sang multiple times today. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, the Savior. So this morning, as we kind of get into Hebrews in a second, how does this Savior, how does this saving kind of happen? The people were expecting a powerful political Savior. Jesus does not run for office. This isn't the beginning of his campaign trail. He's not there to remove all the physical and financial oppression of Caesar. But Jesus, in his upside-down kingdom manner, came as a spiritual savior to the people. Not against this false god, this Caesar, this man who thought he was God, but against the prince of darkness and the penalty of sin. So Jesus defeated sin and death, not through some bloody war, 
that he's coming into town with palm branches like a king coming from war. But he comes in with victory through grace, through mercy, and through a last bloody sacrifice, namely himself. The cross, as it comes a few days from this point in time, it will be the last altar. The humble, perfect lamb, the last slain sacrifice. So guys, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And through his death, Jesus defeats death. That's why there's palm branches. That's why there's victory. Because the victor, Jesus, died and defeated sin and death. Where once man needed to regularly enter into the temple, which Joel so eloquently told us last week about the, the priest entering the Holy of Holies regularly to sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. This was no more. Jesus says, it's finished. We're done. It's settled. It's been paid. 1 John 4.10, just in summary before we move on. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. So you may be thinking this morning, a little confusion, like how does this all work? We have this prophet, this guy that is made, this, this healer and this really great teacher. He comes into a city that some people think he's king, the Messiah that's going to save them from all this oppression, but he ends up dying at the end of the week. So, what? How does, how does this work? Well, well, let's just stop for a second. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about God, the one who existed before anything existed. The creator. We're talking about sin, this disease that's somewhat invisible at some points, but shows itself constantly in the sins of humanity. We're talking about spiritual judgment. This, this character of God that must judge wrongs because he's perfect. We're talking about eternal life existing forever. These are weighty and yes, very confusing topics at times. And our hope is that in your personal time in God's word, in your discipleship groups, or in your neighborhood group time where there's discussion, and even here on Sunday mornings, that your constant rhythms of being in God's word, some of these things will make a little bit more sense, and the curtain will slowly open each time you get into God's word. So that's all I'm shooting for today, that we just open the curtain just a little bit more. And I think the writer of Hebrews is going to do this for us. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 9, 11. Mostly looking at Hebrews 9 and chapter 9 and chapter 10. But 9, 11 is where we're going to start. Hebrews is at the end. I don't have the page number, but towards the end. Okay, here it is. Uh, yeah, 10, 0, 6, 1006. That in Hebrews, um, these two chapters, we're going to be kind of looking at how does all this work? And the writer's going to try to open that curtain up a little bit more. So um, a little background before we read 11. In chapter 9, 1 through 5, the writer shares about the tabernacle. Okay? 
this tent that God told man to make so that he could be in their midst. So it's a tent, right? And that was the, before the, the temple was made for the Jewish people, their worship space, and how God asked man to do this, and man obeyed, built this tent. And in 6 through 10, the writer of Hebrews talks about the priest, the man who goes into the tent to sacrifice and do the things of the law so that man and God could have a relationship. And he ends this section saying, according to this arrangement, the gifts and sacrifices offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Right? They only work on the external. So even the writer is admitting to this man-made tent and this man walking in the tent to sacrifice animals for the sins of man was just kind of on the, it was kind of an external thing. It didn't quite get to the heart. It, it couldn't perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So with that being the setup, let's read uh, chapter 9, 11 through 18. And as we follow Jesus as a king, and we follow Jesus as the sacrificed, my prayer is, is that your relationship with him will grow. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the, for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the author is proposing here very early on that there's a more perfect tent. He actually says that in verse 11. So Jesus, the presence of God, is much more perfect and much more reality than this man-made tent where the presence of God is. Secondly, he says it's, he's a more perfect priest. Jesus is a sinless priest. He's not a priest that has to sacrifice animals for his own sin so that he can go into a temple and then sacrifice animals for the sins of the people. Jesus was sinless. Thirdly's more perfect sacrifice. The blood of the Son of God. Not the blood of animals. And lastly, if I can say this on Palm Sunday, the more perfect king to rule in perfect justice where all the kings prior failed, Jesus will rule in perfect justice. So in the next few verses, the writer gives us a glimpse of how this plays out. And as I was reading through Hebrews this week and I came across this passage, I was like, Am I reading this right? So hopefully it'll be maybe new to you or helpful for you as well. But it really, really brought a lot of things together for me. The curtain was opened up for me, and I hope the same is for you. So Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he, 
Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So this morning as we talk about the saving effect of God's will, maybe that will come to light a little bit more for you this morning. I actually brought this morning for you, currently, a worthless sheet of paper. It is the uh, last will and testament of David Michael Parton. This is, I had to find this thing, right? Because what is it? It's a white piece of paper with English words on it, that's been, I think, since we wrote it in like six houses, in a closet, inside a folder, never to be seen. Why? Because it's worthless. Why? Because I'm not dead. I don't think. Right? So, when, when the Hebrew writer, when the writer of Hebrews shares that where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. The saving effect of God's will for me this week as I studied this passage opened up the curtain a little bit more. So we knew, Rivers and I, we made this document, and we thought through, okay, if we're not alive, which is weird in itself, those of you guys who have made wills, you're saying, okay, this is my last will and testament. If I die, uh, where do we want our kids to live, right? There's, there's words like estate, which is weird for me to think about my estate, you know? And, and who would get those things? And it seemed very important become missionaries overseas one of the early things on our list to do was have a will that's humbling you know now I moved to the city that Jay grew up so he's like that's a great city right but Americans we moved to a foreign country you're like we'll get a will wow okay you know let's go and I just want to say that this morning the Hebrew writer wants us to fill the contrast. The first covenant, the first tent, the first priests, the first sacrifices, the first kings, they were there, but they were just a shadow of the things to come. Then boom, what happens? For a will takes effect only at death. So Jesus Christ dies. And what happens? E eternity happens, right? Inheritance. It's, it's for you. Here's your inheritance. 
Do you guys see the contrast? Like the first covenant, it's important. But there's something, there's, there's this stored power inside the will of God, the last will and testament of Jesus, right? There's a stored power there that has no power until the death of Jesus. And what does the writer of Hebrews says? Effect, force, something happens that changes the way we all see this world spiritually. From God's last will and testament, we have a new testament. We have a covenant. And like in English, the word will, and even when you read the title, the saving effect of God's will, that's, there's like two meanings there, right? But is there? Because what was Rivers and I doing when we wrote, wrote this will? We were writing down what our will was. So maybe it's not a dual meaning. And you know what the Greek word is? Covenant. This was God's covenant that was released when his son died. The Bible teaches that if you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will have eternal life. You enter the kingdom now, and your reward is full life now and in the age to come. And all of this happens, friends, 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 all of this happens because God had a will. The covenant he established. There was no negotiation between man and God in writing the will. We did not bring Joy Parton at three years old. Hey, Joy, where do you want to live? With Mickey Mouse? Okay. No. There's no negotiation when you write a will because it's your will. And in God's kingdom, when he writes a will, there is no negotiation. It is his will. So the death of Jesus not only brought the power to the will of God, but it was the very punishment for our sin. And the Bible teaches that we're justified by faith in the death of Jesus. The belief that Jesus' death enacted a new covenant, a new will, that for all who believe get the inheritance. So as the writer goes through chapter 9, he's saying a, a lot of the same things about the, the death of Jesus and, and the sacrifice that he gave for us. And then we get to Hebrews 10. I think we have a slide for Hebrews 10. Then Jesus added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Does the curtain open up a little bit more for you this morning? There's a will that God wrote. And the power of the death of Jesus and the establishment of his death releases inheritance. This word sanctification, you might hear it sometimes and maybe only at church, 
But it's this process of becoming more and more like Jesus where the sin, you throw off the sins and you get more Jesus and you throw off the sins and you get more Jesus and you're following more and more the ways of Jesus. That's sanctification. Earlier I used the word justification. Justified. That word might be more familiar to you because we use that within our court system. Justified. Free. Justice has been done. So if I can say these words for you today. The crucifixion empowered the justification which led to our sanctification. So we needed the crucifixion because it released the will of God. And that justifies us. Everyone in the room that wants to put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation is justified. And now, sanctification is in process. This life of throwing off sin and adding more, more Jesus. So as we close today, let's look at Hebrews chapter 19. The writer of Hebrews is continuing to share more and more about the, the, uh, Jesus' death on the cross and how it frees us. And then he gets to this application point, and I want this to be our application for the day. Because our sanctification is not just doing church well. Reading the Bible a little bit better. Praying a little clearer. Longer. Those real long prayers with big words. Those are really good ones, right? Like sanctification, right? That's what we have to look forward to. No. Being sarcastic. This is what we have to look forward to. Hebrews 10, 19. The curtain's open a little more, Right? The more you read the Bible, the more the curtain opens up each time you read another passage. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So four things today as you leave. Number one from verse 23, remember Jesus, right? Remember what he has done, our hope. Let him be your confidence. Let the very will that God established in love be your confidence and hope. And why does the writer say this? Because he who wrote the will is faithful. He is faithful. So one was remember Jesus. He is faithful. Verse 24 gets our second application. Number two. Encourage, love, and encourage others to love. Number two, 
encourage love and encourage others to love. So in this season of sanctification, we remember Jesus. We encourage people. We love people. And we encourage other people to love people. Third, remember. A lot of remembering in the Bible. Remember Jesus' return. Verse 25. As you see the day drawing near, the day of Jesus Christ coming as a king once again, get your palm branches ready. Right, right. The story is still going on and God wants us to be a part of it. Hope you, hope you feel that. The, 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 the Bible story didn't end on Easter. And lastly, verse 36. We receive the promise of inheritance from doing his will. So the saving effect of God's will happened at crucifixion, created our justification, led to our sanctification. And what's next? Well, we do the will of God. It's God's will that frees us to do his will. Maybe that makes sense. Wouldn't have made sense maybe 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for having a testament, having a covenant, having a will that you wrote, that you established before any of us existed on this planet. And in that will, you wanted to free us from sin and bondage of this world. And we thank you for the saving grace, the saving effect, the saving work of your will. God, I'm blown away that you love us so much. When we killed you, you asked for forgiveness for us. Amen.